Okay, so our scripture today, as I said, does come from Matthew. It comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left the place where he had been teaching and went back to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that area came out and shouted, Have mercy on me, sir, son of David. My daughter is badly demon-possessed. But Jesus did not answer her, her a word. Then his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Now Jesus answered, I was not sent to any except the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Rabbi, help me. Then Jesus said, It is not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Rabbi, yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the Lord's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at that moment. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Then our next hymn is hymn 677 through our fragmentary prayers.
Good morning. I'm going to begin my sermon with a poem uh, by a woman named Marty Stussy, and I'll say just a little bit more about her after I read her poem. It's called Crumbs. It's not fair, Jesus told her, to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Bastard. Sir, she answered, so polite, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. He healed her child, they say. They praise his generosity, or less commonly, her nerve. But I am her daughter, and I tell you I still have the demon. It says, stay under the table. I can survive fine on crumbs. Leave the food for those who need it. Never mind the waiter brought iced tea on a blustery winter day when I ordered hot. It doesn't matter. Don't make extra work. I spilled ink on my off-white trench coat in 1985. It hasn't shed water since 91, and the stitching started to rot in 93. I'm embarrassed to leave it at coat check, but when I look for a new one, I freeze at the extravagance. I'd like to go to school to learn to be a preacher, but am I good enough to do the classwork? Besides, I need to drop off the dry cleaning and pick up the kids and reckon the accounts from the church fundraiser. Even if I applied and was accepted, I have no time to follow my own call. The dogs under the table and I agree that crumbs aren't bad. They keep a body moving, but I wasn't born canine. I want a sandwich. I'll be healed, thank you very much, when I take a seat at the table. This poem by Marty Stussy is a little dated. I'm not actually sure when it was written, but there are dates in it that date it to a couple decades ago. And it's about the place of women in ministry and in the church. Stussy is uh, and has for many years been an author and poet and a professor of theology. So she has found a place at the table. But it is not that far in history. Darren, I am so happy that you talked about Sojourner Truth and the ways that women, particularly women of color, have advocated for themselves and their communities throughout history. Uh, when I became a pastor here in Washington less than 20 years ago, I was the only woman the only woman in pastoral ministry in Washington State, in the Mennonite Church. Um, there, were, there were a few more in our conference, just a few more in our conference. And by now, 17 years later, almost 18 years later, the balance has really swung the other way. There are more women being as pastors in Mennonite churches in Washington than there are men. Um, although I would certainly not say, not say that that is this, the case overall. Um, NPR, the past couple of days, has re been reporting on the Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention, which are still, you know, prepared to kick churches out over this particular issue. Uh, but there are women in our congregation, thanks be to God, who have found a place at the table, sharing the meal. And it has been because of women like Stussy and bef people before her and before her and before her back to so Sojourner Truth uh, who have been willing to call out the church and call out culture for its exclusive and abusive behaviors and attitudes. Uh, a traditional reading of this text, the story of a Canaanite woman, 
would say that Jesus is testing her. Possibly he's also testing, sorry, I just sounded like my mic cut out for a second there. Are we good? Okay. Possibly also he's testing his disciples. Will she pass this test of faith? Will she measure up to the standards of the house of Israel, of which Jesus himself is a part? And Jesus is very much in charge of this situation in a traditional reading of this text or a historical reading of this text. That is not the way I hear this story. In fact, the way I see it, Jesus is a straight-up jerk. And when I just whispered to Naomi just now, I use stronger language than that, but I will not do so in mixed company. (laughs) Uh, I would use stronger language. The Canaanite woman calls Jesus on his bad behavior, and he changes his course. Uh, In either interpretation, Jesus is kind of a jerk. If he's testing her, or if uh, she's, and, and she sort of passes the test, or if she is calling him out and he's in the wrong and not as in control. Either way, he's not acting right. This woman is not Jewish, she is not Judean, and therefore, just like Samaritans, who maybe have a little bit, we, we know a little bit more about them because of the Good Samaritan story, Anyone outside of the house of Israel who is considered is considered foreign and lesser and unworthy, and Jesus is not kind about this, but no more so, more so than any of his peers, his Jewish peers. So this woman comes along and she interrupts his travels, his ministry travels, shouting out to him to have mercy on me. His disciples are annoyed, and they are frustrated, and they say this to him, get rid of her, she's being annoying. And so he says to her, listen, lady, I am not here for the Canaanites, I am here for those who need my ministry within my own faith and within my own tribe. And even though he is dismissive, she is polite to him. She says, Rabbi, please help me. And this is when he is just astonishingly cruel. (laughs) I just, I can't even, I can't even believe this is in our Holy Scripture. It is not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. There is just no world. There is no world, whether he is testing her or truly prioritizing some people over others, where it is okay to say this to a person. I have so much like respect and appreciation for her response and she is like quick on her feet i don't think i could have mustered this much dignity if someone had spoken to me in this way and she says even the dogs get the crumbs as i was spending time with this story boy who bringing up some emotions in me clearly as i was spending some time with this story this week i kept thinking about the women who interrupted Bernie Sanders when he was at a campaign event here at Westlake in 2015. So some years ago already. But this is a story that stuck in my mind. These women named Marissa Janae Johnson and Mara Jacqueline Williford interrupted Bernie's campaign event. I'm sure many of you remember this. It's all over the news. It was the anniversary of the shooting of Michael Brown, who was a teenager who had been shot in Ferguson the year before, Ferguson, Missouri near St. Louis, and it was around Michael Brown's death that the Black Lives Matter uh, movement emerged and just like was a groundswell, rightly so. So these two women interrupted the Sanders rally to uh, demand attention for Black Lives, 
and to call out Seattle liberals for posturing their progressiveness. Uh, CNN quotes, John. this is a quote from CNN story. My name is Marissa Janae Johnson, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Seattle, she said, to sustained booze from the audience that had waited an hour and a half to hear Sanders. I was going to tell Bernie how racist this city is, filled with its progressives, but you already did it for me. Thank you. She and Williford continued their action of protest, calling to hold silence for Michael Brown. And organizers ended up calling off the event. Bernie said he was disappointed in the interruption, and he defended himself by saying he'd always worked closely with Black people. When Johnson wrote about this a year later, after being doxxed and receiving death threats and threats of assault and having things literally thrown at her in the street in Seattle, she suggested this could have been an opportunity for Bernie Sanders. He could have just pretended, just pretended even, to respond kindly and openly. Great photo op great press, if not genuinely engaging with them in the long term. She says, black women fighting for their freedom will always garner a visceral response. We will continue to fight for the ones we love and for ourselves. We will continue to call out what is true, but that no one dares name. We will continue to try to save the world from itself, even as you call us crazy, unruly, beastly, we will continue to speak with such clarity about the abuses that society has laid upon us, even as the world tells us we are too loud. And this is why I thought of her. Because like the responses of the crowd in Westlake, Jesus' disciples want her to shut up. They want her to not remind them that there are these other injustices to respond to. Bernie's not here for you, black women. He's here for us, the polite progressives. Nonetheless, the Canaanite woman persisted, politely even, and he literally calls her a dog. But when she calls him out, even dogs get the crumbs. You're giving me nothing, Jesus. There is some switch that is flipped in Jesus. Now, I suppose it is possible that he's just conceding. He's like, just trying to get rid of her. But he doesn't say, oh, okay, fine. He says, great is your faith, which doesn't sound like a concession to me. So listen, it bothers me a little that Jesus doesn't apologize. But I, I'm trying not, very, very hard not to put my 20th century, 21st century values onto this first century uh, person. He does not acknowledge his bad behavior. He doesn't say, I won't do anything like that again. Uh, you can see several of my previous sermons talking about what good apologies look like. <clears throat> but he does offer her the healing that she is seeking for her daughter. The same kind of healing ministry that he is doing for the people in his own ethnic group. Not every call out is going to get an apology. Sometimes it will even backfire. It will go badly. 
The person who calls out harmful, hurtful, exclusive, racist, ableist, sexist, all of the kinds of bad, exclusive behavior puts themselves in a very vulnerable position. It takes courage to call something out. But a call out, continuing to speak for dignity, for inclusion, for justice, it does move the needle toward values of welcome and inclusion and justice. A few weeks ago, Pastor Megan shared the letter that she received from pastoral leadership team, the body of our uh, conference, our Mennonite conference, that holds the credentials for pastoral leaders within our denomination. I am a part of that team at the moment, I'm chairing actually. And the letter that Pastor Megan sh shared was, a, was an acknowledgement to her, and there are other pastors within our, within our conference who received a letter like this also, acknowledging the ways that PLT has challenged and disciplined pastors for ministering to queer kindred within our denomination. I think PLT's next step needs to be to address our queer kindred directly, frankly. We're, we're still working on that. But what I know is that Pastor and uh, Megan and other pastors like her and other queer folks within our denomination, within our conference, who continued to call out denominational leadership, to call out those who are being exclusive and abusive, they have changed the collective mind of our denomination to the point where we have, as a denomination, been able to affirm a resolution that calls for repentance, for transformation from these ways of harm. It's still a little bit like mind-boggling to me, actually. Like I am not sure as uh, we prepare to take youth and many, several adults from our, uh, from our congregation to Kansas City for our annual, uh, it's not annual, it's, biennial? Does that mean two every two years? Anyway, uh, to our, our conference, our assembly, to Menocon, it's a little bit like, I'm not sure, like, what is the headspace that I am going to that with? I am so used to being the one with the, like, the rainbow lanyard and the pink shirt, and, like, very, like, having to be, like, change. Uh, and now, that's who we are as a denomination and it's wonderful and weird uh, and it is because of the ongoing prophetic witness and call outs of so many within our denomination that that it, it has come to that place of welcome stories like this in the bible give me hope both because jesus can make a mistake and then learn to be better and because it centers a woman who made a difference to Jesus. To us, even now. Just, just like Sojourner Truth, that the legacy of the story of this woman is still having ripples. Stories of people who continue to speak up and call out, even though that makes them extremely vulnerable, that gives me hope. And my hope is that we too will continue to put ourselves on the line to call out injustice. That we will work on a culture where there is no one under the table. 
where the table is big enough for all of us. And that like Jesus, we will ultimately have the grace to offer blessing instead of exclusion. May it be so.